Hello everyone, welcome to Conversations with the Co-op. This is where we source questions from the Index Co-op community to gain insights from today's leaders and builders in crypto and DeFi. Today we have Ada and Namik from PrimeDAO. Guys, thanks for being here with us today. Appreciate it. Thanks for having us on. What we'll do to start off, since we have two of y'all speaking, we'll just have both of y'all introduce yourselves uh, just so we can identify your voices on the recording. Ada, we'll start with you. Sure. Hello, I'm Ata. I'm originally from Turkey, now uh, studying in a university in New York. I got into crypto uh, last year, 2020, like after, uh, after COVID. And I was always, up to then, I was always interested in economic development policies of states. Um, coming from Turkey, a developing country, with a lot of problems uh, being thrown into, you know, globalizing economy. Um, I was curious as to how a state, you know, can harness its citizens as a collective energy to, you know, incentivize certain areas of development. And I was mainly looking at Asian countries, doing a lot of side research and hoping to become an economic ministry as a you know, child dream. And then um, in the process, I then uh, discovered crypto and I realized, you know, you don't need a state to um, do these things anymore. Um, you don't need one centralized place to just uh, wager for policies that you think will make the society better. You can just organize uh, among your common believers and um, just do it yourself. And internet economy um, provides a much more fun and better space to uh, create things that should be in the world without having the necessity to ask to anybody or climb up the ladders of uh, bureaucracy or whatever. And then um, I just started researching um, some topics around this in crypto and started my first crypto work um, in that process I was just like taking video notes from meetings as one of the like intern accounts in Twitter <laughs> and then yeah then I started contributing um, with PrimeDAO mainly they're doing um, mechanism design building new primitives of DAO-to-DAO coordination uh, partnerships I also worked with CommonStack researching on their first crypto commons experiments, um, analyzing different aspects of the structure they were making from incentive mechanisms to community organization, etc. in relation to Eleanor Ostrom's book, Governing the Commons, who was the first economist uh, woman uh, Nobel Prize winner. And yeah, mainly interested in um, how creation of money, uh, creation of new monies can um, incentivize new behaviors and gamify the economies in which, you know, people working for themselves also work for a greater good. And in the process, uh, these, you know, emergent communities just uh, present a different idea of uh, what the future looks like. And <laughs> Yeah, well, that's a fascinating background. Thanks for sharing, Ada. Uh, Namik, what about you? Yeah, I uh, just want to make a quick comment on Atta's background. If you all think that Bitcoin is volatile, you should check out the Turkish lira over the past four years. It's been 
pretty terrible. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, my name's Namek. I'm originally from Azerbaijan and Cyprus. So Cyprus is a small country in the Mediterranean, half Turkish, half Greek. So I have a pretty Turkish background in terms of my name, to say the least. I come from like the Web2 background, honestly. So, you know, a lot of uh, solutions on that side, um, namely a site called Human ID, which is an, a single sign-on, fully anonymous, fully accountable, built. It's like not, it's Web2, but it's pretty cool. And yeah, so I go to business school in New York. I kind of entered the crypto space primarily because I Azerbaijan. I've always been fascinated with like decentralizing outcomes and having things being on chain, seeing how things move. Uh, money flows is fascinating. I think a lot of emerging markets can really, really prosper from these kinds of values. So like the web free values. I joined crypto as well around a year ago and uh, quickly was brought into the anarchist aspect of things. Uh, I originally believed hey, we should work with these governments to kind of create solutions for their people. Then I learned a bit more about like failed attempts in space. And that's what actually brought me to DAOs. I have very strong belief in decentralizing income. I don't think where you were born should determine your future. And that's the beauty of crypto. And I think that's the beauty of DAOs. You can work on multiple projects from wherever in the world you want to. Really, really beautiful concept there. Just like Ata, I'm a contributor for Prime. Prime DAO. It's effectively a service hub for DAOs. We love DAOs. We believe they're the future, but they also need to be scalable. There's a million problems with them at the moment. So that's kind of how Prime DAO was born. Uh, so in terms of crypto space, that's my main project. We're really fascinated with like photography, NFTs, and like onboarding photographers, stuff like that. So yeah, our feet are everywhere in the space, you know, goes left and right. But yeah, super, super excited to kind of talk, talk DAOs, talk crypto, talk whatever with you today. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, again, I, we appreciate y'all being here. And so y'all are roommates now. How did the two of you meet? That's that's the first question that I have. Sure, uh, I can take this one. So we both study political economy, which I think is pretty nice. Uh, we have similar visions and honestly, that brought a lot of cynicalness, right? It, you become pretty cynical when all you read and learn about is how like nation states and individuals are ultimately going to destroy the world. Um, so we met via school. So we were both in the business school at NYU. It's called NYU Stern. Uh, he's Turkish. I'm Azari. That's a pretty good reason to kind of introduce one another. We both moved to London for a few months. Uh, and we met in London, actually. So we became buddies, COVID happened. Ata was like, yo, you need to check this out. Uh, read, read, read. At this point, he was already involved with Common Stacks um, and all kinds of groups like this. Uh, so yeah, I mean, that's how we kind of met one another. The friendship was formed from there. And now we live together alongside a couple more roommates who are all involved in the cryptosphere based out of New York. Yeah, that's exciting. So were both of y'all in Lisbon this past week? Yeah, we were. Uh, Prime DAO had a workshop at the Taoist, so we went to go represent. Yeah, and Nemec, you were in New York too about a month ago, right? Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think? It, I mean, is it nice to get back out there and just see everybody in person? Or I guess y'all just kind of got into the space recently, but... 
don't know, just kind of share with the audience, you know, what's the energy like at these conferences and what's, what's the feeling that y'all get when y'all are there? Yeah, uh, for the first co- conference we went was MCON. And I'm, I feel like super lucky that it was my first conference because it was more like a DAO, OGs, you know, builders in the space coming together. And what is super interesting about these conferences is that no one is trying to flex, you know, no one is trying to hide anything, but everyone is super curious about what everyone is doing and always iterating together like what can be done cooperatively, just connecting with each other, you know, the people that we've been following for years in the Twitter or Discord, uh, just working together and never see each other's face and just hanging out with them all around the city and having these conversations that we could never have in real life because like we weren't really in a space with a lot of um, crypto-native people. But, you know, coming together in a conference like that was just like accelerated ideation about all the things related to DAOs, etc. So uh, it was a great learning experience, but also basically community community shared visions, etc. that confirms in a even stronger way when you have this physical interaction. Um, I don't know what you want to say, Namak. Yeah, I met someone the other day. Um, he was from Web2. He has like a pretty cool solution, like open source, a lot of the same values. And he said, if you want to sleep, don't go to conferences. Don't go to any crypto conferences because just the amount of like brilliant people who are open to talk, open to share, open to like talk and build with you, right? It's just like, it's phenomenal. It's beautiful. So I would say like that's, that's been my entire experience of every conference I've been to so far. Countless people who want, even the way we met, right? Um, right. We met at like one of mixers um, at Mainnet and it's beautiful. So personally, I've only had a phenomenal time at these conferences, especially compo- as opposed to like Web2, right? Where everybody is more so like, wow, like this is how important I am. This is how much of a hotshot I am. Um, the beauty of Web3 is like everybody's here to build. Everyone's here to work open source. And everybody knows like, you know, you can fork whatever I'm doing, right? Let's just work together. Let's build something cool. And it's like a very, very beautiful space in that regard. So yeah, we've been to MCON, Mainnet, we're back in New York for NFT NYC. Um, you know, a lot of this is just like meeting new people. It's like top end of the funnel, let's say. But it's, it's not even from that perspective. It's just like a beautiful group. And that's what we've really appreciated in these conferences, to say the least. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's just a lot of collaboration. And, you know, if Mainnet in New York hadn't happened, then this podcast right here wouldn't be happening because Namek, you and I, yeah, like you said, we met at the, it was actually Index Co-op uh, Mixer that we hosted that night. So I think you guys snuck in, but that's okay. Um, but anyway, uh, so let's talk about PrimeDAO. Can you just give us like a, a brief, just overview of, you kind of touched on it a little bit, Namek, of just what PrimeDAO is? Yeah, um, so basically PrimeDAO is um, a group of squads that came together to build uh, DAO toolings that aim to enhance capabilities of DAOs across different spectrums, 
from um, launching a DAO, uh, which is you know prime launch, um, to basically doing DAO-to-DAO negotiations and uh, agreements, uh, DAO ventures, and then also increasing, kind of enhancing the knowledge space in the DAO in the DAO space as a public good. Um, that basically address three of the products that PrimeDAO is uh, building and like launching very, very soon, which are Prime Deals, Prime Launch, and Prime Rating. Prime Rating is actually led by uh, Lavi, who is also part of the Index Corp. He's also in the audience. Shout out to Lavi. And Prime Deals is basically a platform that can facilitate on-chain DAO-to-DAO interactions, ranging from token swaps, co-liquidity provision, co-funding public goods, creating joint ventures, creating meta-DAOs, and also Prime Launch that helps DAOs launch without needing a code from their you know, seed, seed race phase to opening up to the public all in one platform. So like, in a snapshot, uh, it's effectively imagine like an investment bank or a service hub for DAOs. Um, we, we love DAOs, we think they're the future, but at the same time, right now, what we have isn't really scalable for like the next 50 million users. So uh, we want to make we want to make DAOs into something that really, really works without any of these bottlenecks, any of these frustrations. Because right now, it's not a clean process whatsoever. You go into most... Most DAOs, like the way they interact with one another even, is just like almost archaic. So that's effectively the goal of PrimeDAO, is to really help build out this base layer infrastructure for DAOs to be able to prosper and thrive. Right, yeah. And so you talked about deals a little bit. Yeah, can we just go through uh, all of the products? I, I think you mentioned three. I thought there were four. Uh, is So I guess the first one is, so you've got launch, rating, deals. I thought pools was another one. Um, and then can you just go through the list of all those and just kind of briefly explain the differences between all four of these products? Yeah, so pools is kind of inside uh, Prime Launch and Prime Deals, but uh, I just want to give the meta view. Um, I can go through them one by one. Basically, uh, Prime Deals is an interface that can facilitate uh, first uh, two DAOs or multiple DAOs coming together to an agreement. Whereas now DAOs corporate have to jump from uh, platform platform from group chat group chats and forum to work forum, we are building an interface that is specifically focused on negotiating an agreement together and creating a single source of truth that can be referenced as the corporation from two DAOs um, proceed. But also under that interface, we have certain base layer contracts that we are building and hoping to turn into an open source library where uh, people can write template-based contracts that facilitate certain types of interactions. I mentioned a couple of them, token swaps, joint ventures, co-liquidity provision, creation of these liquidity pools uh, that DAOs wouldn't have to create by themselves every time to uh, multiple DAOs cooperate, but can reference this uh, platform to just interact and the on uh, you know, on-chain structure. Um, so, for example, if you were to launch a joint venture now, you would form a multisig. You would send two two thousand would send their tokens there. There will be 
you know, messages coming, hey, did you send? Oh, let me see. Oh, I saw that you deposited. Okay, I'm sending it right there. And in a way that is just combining tools that are existing in the space, but also in a very inefficient uh, communication process that might create a lot of frictions that actually create a lot of frictions and problems because while you're building prime deals, we talked to a lot of DAOs in the space that were uh, heavily involved with uh, doing uh, things together with other DAOs and actually built this in response to big pain points that we identified. And prime launch is basically maybe Namuk, uh, you want to take on there? Yeah, so... Uh... Prime Launch really tries to target one thing, right? How do you uh, professionally launch a DAO that can effectively scale? How can we get something that is truly a DAO, right? So that's really what Prime Launch is focused on. It's a launch pad, um, helps get rid of the stuff like, hey, where do we get our initial income from? Things of this sort. Some cool facts about Prime Launch. And the whole Prime ecosystem as a whole includes like our IDO that's happening early December. And you'll really be able to see what this process is like. We have a couple other partners down the funnel, which honestly can't really speak about, but it's definitely some exciting stuff. The other project is Prime Rating. Prime Rating is effectively a model where people can come, contribute, burn, and bring out information. So the way this works is we have raters they come, they rate a uh, protocol. This protocol is then like, you know, validated or like approved by editors and then it's published. So we're able to then utilize wisdom of the masses. And we believe we can get a lot of people to rate one project. We're able to get like a very strong, well understanding of what's going on and then leverage that uh, for all kinds of projects moving forward, including like indexes, uh, things of this sort. So that's really the beauty of rating in a lot of ways. It allows people to kind of be onboarded to crypto. I mean, they already should know a decent amount, but really be able to learn and get paid at the same time and also provide value to the greater community by doing so. That's the main value prop of rating. And the fourth product, which is uh, Prime Pools, is basically a kind of product that, these three products tap into for prime deals, for example, like basically prime pools is a way for um, for DAOs to manage their liquidity and create liquidity. Prime deals uh, connects to prime pools by facilitating co liquidity uh, provisioning between multiple DAOs. And prime launch is basically next step for uh, DAOs to launch and then uh, have their liquidity pool managed in prime pools and prime rating uh, hopes to leverage prime pools by quantifying fundamentals of um, DeFi protocols and creating automated hedge fund strategies built on top of the hedge, which is also comes with the pool management uh, questions of its own. Yeah, these sound like really great products and I can see that there's definitely a need in the space for stuff like this. So uh, of these four products, I guess, well, uh, the one that kind of stood out to me was deals mostly because this seems like the one that it seems the newest, I guess, in the space in the sense that you talked about 
joint ventures between DAOs or what you called meta DAOs. And so with a joint venture, does that mean, you know, you've got, so you've got two different DAOs that both, they have this idea and they want to work together, but they feel like their best case is to create their own DAO where both the original DAOs hold the majority of the tokens. Is that kind of how that would work or, or how would you go through a JV process uh, between DAOs? Yeah, um, so there are multiple things, actually infinite amount of things that uh, can come out of joint venture, but certain use cases that we are working towards are basically co-founding public goods, co-founding open risk or co-founding teams that uh, delivers a service or an outcome that benefits both DAOs. And by creating, in a way, a meta wallet, two DAOs can manage this whole process of value creation and funding together. But the concept of meta DAO also addresses interactions happening between DAOs and service DAOs. Because an interesting thing about this DAO space is the way that DAO scale is a bit different from old corporate structure in which, you know, you have a vertical expansion and just like acquire, acquire, acquire. Here, DAOs basically scale by working with other DAOs specialized in their own areas, which we are seeing emerging as, uh, with Yield, Red Guild, some uh, Yap DAO that is providing PR services to DAOs. Um, and these DAOs basically come to it, come to a DAO and they, they work on a specific project. But the specific project requires um, co-management of a, of a new wallet structure. Um, and basically, if you have an interface that can facilitate this metadata creation and allocation of rights, actions, etc., you can just increase the number of these kind of potential interactions. Uh, yeah, I mean, just like picking back in like a really simplified manner, um, this really allows DAOs to kind of look at, hey, what are our same fixed and variable costs? And why don't we just create like a simple pipeline where we can like continuously fund these costs together uh, while not like, you know, focusing on this every single week, right? When you think about it, when you bring outside groups into DAOs to do X, Y, and Z, the amount of time that's allocated to like writing proposals, passing them, justifying it, X, Y, and Z can become quite problematic. So one of the beauties of prime deals in like a super simplified manner is allowing different DAOs to collaborate on these things together. Obviously, long-term, we're really, really excited to see new ventures, right? New ideas, new plans being tackled by multiple stakeholders and multiple different DAOs towards one mission, right? A super simple model would be public goods. It's kind of difficult to say, hey, like, I'm going to single-handedly fund this or, like, you know, my DAO is going to fund this public good, which will provide me value, will provide everybody value, when I take the upfront of this cost. Being able to work as a collective of DAOs, funding, you know, teams, developers, whatever, right, for the good of the entire ecosystem, um, as, as well as yourself, is a really, really fascinating value proposition we're excited to see come out of Prime Deals. Yeah, I think that sounds like a really interesting initiative that PrimeDAO 
uh, is taking on the whole deals with the metadows and the joint ventures. I just, I just feel like there's such a need there. And I think that makes so much sense. And I'm not really aware of anyone else who's trying to help organize those from a DAO perspective. So I think, I think that's huge. Yeah. And so can y'all also go into the details of the relationship between curve labs and prime DAO? Maybe just give us a background of what curve labs is and how that relationship exists today sure uh, i'm actually also part of curve labs and i'm plugging into prime DAO through curve labs basically prime DAO organizes itself around uniting squads i don't know if anyone is familiar with the term squads it's basically a concept that emerged out of sam hart's article about groups of people coming together around the shared culture shared organizational understanding and basically building things together. And uh, PrimeDAO funds these different squads that provide specific value to the DAO. And CurveLabs is um, basically a community of uh, builders, uh, designers that work with multiple projects across the crypto ecosystem and provide specific services. So CurveLabs here in uh, PrimeDAO is the one organization that is building uh, Prime Deals. Uh, there is also Collectivo Labs, which is uh, another lab squad that is working in PrimeDAO, uh, that is building Prime Launch together with Curl Labs, that includes you know developers, designers, UI UX designers, um, researchers. So a little bit from a history perspective, um, Prime was originally ideated by multiple members of both Curve and Collectivo. And it was effectively used as a funnel, like, hey, you know, we have these two different large like, squads. Uh, let's work on Prime together, All right? Um, but as time has gone, you know, Prime has raised two million seed. We're getting our idea, idea upcoming. Uh, Prime is getting more and more decentralized. Thankfully, we are a DAO. So um, it was effectively a medium to kind of really give birth this like, push to Let's get Prime off the ground. That's how it exists. That's decentralized, and we use like these two groups, you know, the ideators, the birthers of uh, Prime DAO to do so. But you know, moving forward, Prime is taking a lot more of its own autonomy in a lot of regards. Still utilizing all of these uh, greater network that it has, uh, but also super welcoming, super open to contributors of all kinds. And whatever whatever your skills are, we'd love love to have you join the Discord and see what we can do. Yeah, that okay. That's that's interesting. That makes sense, though. Um, so when it comes to forming a DAO, you know, from the ground up, I mean, what aspects do you feel like are important in bootstrapping and forming a, a long-lasting DAO community? And then we'll just start talking about DAOs just in general from here. Amazing. Um, I think the the first important factor is a shared vision, because um, this space has big organizational capability in terms of how people can come together and build things because everyone is super excited. Everyone knows the importance of this mission uh, of working in crypto and kind of feels the power of creativity with um, just bringing new uh, primitives of organization and interaction to the space. So a specific vision that can unite these 
different groups of people already is uh, kind of seeded for a DAO. But then what is super important is how to um, maintain the idea of working for a DAO that comes with more uh, fair value distribution, more horizontalized agency model, uh, fluid hierarchy that can uh, change its shape with different types of contributors coming in and out. That comes with a big uh, organizational um, understanding of these individual pieces and how to connect them together in a coherent way. And this is super different from when a DAO reaches its matured stage, right? In the beginning, there's a lot of uncertainty. There, uh, being in the crypto space, there's a lot of interesting other things that are already going on. So how do you harness the attention and energy of these people that came to your DAO uh, to build some things together and make sure things move forward? So I would say a shared vision, a community uh, engagement that can in this collective working towards that vision and an organizational structure that can sustain this uh, anarchic, chaotic, decentralized workspace. And I'd say what comes down to, at least in the beginnings of a DAO, the goal comes down to one word, which is just culture, right? Um, you need to have like a really strong culture and like a unifying medium for everybody to join. You can have people with, I mean, you can see what happens with like vastly different opinions of like basic values. And those are like the web free values, right? Like open source, collaborative, things of this sort. Um, what I think is really, really crucial for a uh, successful DAO as opposed to like a traditional web two solution kind of echoing off it's like, you know, very strong, responsive, and adaptive living systems, right? People have their eyes everywhere. They collaborate where they can uh, with a shared mission. It's decentralized in its nature. You have these side squads all working together, but on what they believe is strong for the future of the DAO. I'm a very big fan of diversity, so I always love to see it when it isn't just like a bunch of people in New York, uh, like Alta and myself. People really from all over the world are unifying behind the mission, I think is really, really beautiful about DAOs and the space as a whole. And that's kind of one really big reason why, like within this whole, like, you know, there's so much here, right? We can be talking about governance right now. We can be talking about identity. We can be talking about metaverses. What I really love about DAOs in particular are, again, it's a way for people to all plug in from anywhere in the world, get fair share, fair rate, and really decentralized income. In that in that regard so i think culture and being like plugged in supported is really important i also think mentors which is almost counterintuitive are super super important in DAOs. onboarding to crypto sucks onboarding to disorganized DAOs suck even more uh but that's going to be every single DAO when it's first born right or it hasn't matured it's all going to be disorganized so being able to have like this really strong like buddy onboarding system where you can help uh, new joiners really figure out what their strengths are, how they can really contribute, really maximize their own innate potential and talent for and then redirect that for the values of the DAO, which again, the values of the DAO are the values of everybody. So that goes back to the culture. I think, yeah, that's really important. And that's like really hard to build.
right? Because it has to be natural yet logical. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with everything that both of y'all said there. But on, on the topic of vision and the mission statement and the culture of DAOs, do you think that it can be difficult to maintain a consistent vision or a consistent culture within a single DAO when, like you said, the workforce within these DAOs are so fluid, right? It's like you could come into the Discord, type one message, and then disappear. Or you could come into the Discord, work for a month, get paid a little bit, and then disappear. Or you could come in and you could work through the entirety of the DAO. And with that type of fluidity, just is it difficult to maintain that that type of consistency from a vision and culture standpoint? Yeah, I mean, totally, right? Uh, there's like two things you touched on. One is like the person who's been in the DAO from like the beginning um, is a like a guiding hand, things of this sort. And then you have this other class, right, of people who come in, they contribute sometimes. Most people work at like eight different DAOs, right? And that's sick. But what does that really mean for vision? And what happens when new cohorts are onboarded into DAOs? And that's an interesting conversation we can have, like cohorts, right? Alta and I are a cohort. We came into this space a year ago, two years ago. So I think that's like the beauty of a DAO. It isn't like one vision, one vision forever. It's like a living constitution, right? We have a living manifesto at Prime. Uh, things have changed so much since the past year. And that's, when you look at, and this isn't like a DAO-specific phenomenon, this is with companies as well, corporations. You're not going to be able to name me a single company that what they first started doing is what they do now, right? Even Uber used to be just like Black Cars membership in San Francisco. Now it's just like cars, like you can just, right share on demand, right? Um, all of these things kind of came from a different place and they evolved over time. And what the beauty of DAOs are is that it really gives everybody the opportunity to kind of have their own finger in shaping the future of a DAO, right? And you have to create strong governance mechanisms to make sure like those who are contributing are adequately rewarded with like their reputation or they have a way to value what they've done in the past to guide the validity of their decisions. But, you know, somebody speaks facts. They speak facts, you know, real, recognized, real. If someone sends a proposal saying, hey, X, Y, and Z is like absurd, or we should really, really focus on this, it's up to the DAO to decide if that's the case or not. And that's what's going to break or make a DAO, right? Can we all agree? Let's look at this objective. Okay, X, Y, and Z has happened. Maybe we should redirect our force onto this. At the same time, it's a DAO. People can work on whatever they want. That's the beauty of Prime as well. We have all of these different projects from across the board, right? And you focus on what you love. Right now, it's a bit complicated because we have an IDO coming up, all hands on deck. But, you know, in the future, Ata and I personally love Prime deals, right? So we're focused on Prime deals. Does that mean we're not involved in the greater ecosystem? Of course not. Uh, but that's also the beauty of DAOs. It's decentralized in that regard. Yeah, going back to like the effect on vision, I think it's a, it's a living document. Manifestos are living documents. And I don't want, I mean, personally, I don't want to ever be a part of a DAO where we have like one, like iron hand, right? Like one king or queen uh, or whatever that rules and decides what the future of the DAO will be. It should be up to the contributors. It should be up to the members to see what they believe in and then to guide accordingly. I mean, that doesn't mean anyone should come in and like, have all the decision-making, right? But it's definitely a mix of 
want to embrace new people with new, bright, fresh ideas. And um, it's also very relevant how to um, navigate through this fluidity of organization. But to just bring up one thing is that vision is also not static. You know, it's kind of an umbrella that uh, holds the community under it coherent. But if the community is changing, then the vision has to adapt to these new um, stages of the DAO. And at, in, in Lisbon, actually, at the DAOist event, it was the first time that all the prime contributors, or most of the ones that made it to Lisbon, came together uh, for the first time. And uh, we had a workshop in which we sat and went through the manifesto and just asked ourselves, is this what we are standing for? What things we have to change to reflect the current reality of where we are right now? Um, how should we shape our vision in terms of the new learnings that we made along the way? And for example, as a result of that conversation, now we are going to update our manifesto, our vision again. And it just is a way to give a uh, a bigger meaning to uh, the path that we are taking and that path is just um, infinite in its possible divergences. Um, but it's like kind of like guiding North Star, the vision is. Um, so it can evolve with the community, but it has to reflect its current uh, or contemporary stage to still be a uh, pushing force in a direction, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. And I love talking to people who are just so focused on DAOs and the organization and the vision of DAOs. So I really appreciate y'all's input and responses on those. Um, so when y'all look through just the entire crypto DeFi DAO ecosystem, which DAOs to the two of you stand out the most in the sense of, I guess, organizational structure, culture, etc. Like, which DAOs just kind of stand out to y'all from that aspect? Uh, I, I can go with one, um, that is Yarn. Um, um, I had the chance to meet Tracer, Tracer, I don't know how you spell it, um, in MCON as well. And uh, I'm really fascinated by Yarn's organizational structure because of how... Uh, they emerged in, with, you know, one code release and uh, frenzy of liquidity mining that then created this, you know, community that suddenly found themselves in a situation where they had to iterate on the product as this creator was leaving. And then in that chaotic stage, there emerged a kind of a culture of um, working together, anonymity, and also just creating space for everyone to work on whatever they wanted, but also having an organizational structure that can manage that flow. And of course, it came with its problems, but the problems came with even greater solutions and organizational structures. For example, like Coordinate, right? Coordinate emerged as a response to the coordination challenges that you're faced inside. And that is like a very, very interesting case that always inspires me 
and I, I'm actually like trying to learn a lot from what Shaker writes, um, like their like yearn organizational diagrammings, talks, understandings, like what kind of you know historical backgrounds they are referencing to, etc. And also like Olympus is uh, super interesting in that regard, just because the challenge of giving people a vision, an idea of where things can go if they choose to cooperate together, and then meaningfying it for their audience in such a way that people can grasp it, uh, grasp the meaning, grasp the, the potential, and start doing things together in that direction. And when you go to Olympus, and when I was like first researching Olympus, I was like super fascinated by the idea of people coming together under one uh, mechanism primitive to organize together to be a collective whale in the space, but a benevolent whale in a way. And how to pull this off when, you know, it's if 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 everyone's sold in its nascent stage, it will work. Everyone had to stick together to create this initial bootstrapping phase. And how do you keep these people together is as Naomi emphasized a lot, that you create a culture that um, has its roots in actually the kind of individuals that are inside that they can relate to. Um, and these are, these are like two different examples with, uh, targeting like two different approaches to maintain that kind of organizational structure, but dynamic. I'd just like to piggyback, even then you're going to see like, and these are two fantastic groups that like I've just mentioned, uh, but even then you'll see like a lot of DAO to DAO interactions, right? Like, I bet you own has a map groups to a pro. So yeah, like in terms of DeFi, I think those are two great examples. I won't go into exact details on like the issues of like DAO to DAO coordination. But I think like NFT DAOs are also pretty slick when it comes to culture. Uh, really, really complicated to engage it because it's just like insane vibes. But yeah, I think that's like a really interesting look at like what are these communities behind DAOs? NFT DAOs, are they just like, are they just scams? Are they fake? Well, the second the bear market comes, will everybody just sell and get out? Maybe there's like more value because like hey you're stuck with this NFT and this is your group and you guys just oh it looks like out we live together there's a basic trace outside but yeah so I think NFT DAOs are also pretty because like the vibes are so like unique and it's really all that dictates price I don't really believe in the whole like wow this is such a beautiful artwork that's why it's worth X, Y, and Z. Uh, obviously, there are some examples. I would say it's mostly around, like, this is my squad. This is, like, another one of my cohorts. And having that that relationship and that bond, I think, is really, really fascinating. Especially about, like, the communities that don't care about the right? They're tied or connected by something particular. And that's the vibe for themselves. And I think that's a pretty cool... That's a pretty cool phenomenon, which I think no one no one really saw NFTs becoming. And this is like a really, really cool sub sub factor, I guess. That's even a word. Of, of NFTs and DAOs together. I think it's pretty cool. 
Yeah, thanks for sharing. Another thing I wanted to make sure that we touched on before, you know, we've got about 10 minutes left. Ada, you said you were from Turkey. Namik, you said you were from Cyprus. Well, I just kind of wanted to say, like, if you're in contact with anybody uh, still in those places, what's kind of the sense of crypto, DeFi, DAOs? Are, is DeFi and DAOs too deep? Uh, are they aware of crypto? What's just kind of the general sense there? This is a really fun question. And I think we should start with Turkey and Ata because it's truly absurd. Uh, just take it away with like every single poster in the airport and everywhere. Yeah. yeah. It's my I, think. I don't know if you guys saw, but Turkey has actually, you know, one of the biggest crypto um, owners in, in, in the world, just because how our economy is just in shambles and uh, there is minimal trust for the government. Um, and a lot of people found their exits from the economic situation they're in uh, through um, basically um, aping into cryptocurrencies. At a very, very base layer, you know, you have a lot of exchanges and all the, actually, you know, once you come to airport in Istanbul, you are bombarded with ads of different exchanges and an interesting fact is there is a grand bazaar in Istanbul that dates like 600 years to you know, Ottoman Empire days, where it was you know the biggest market, open market in the world. And now in the grand bazaar, you have a kind of on-foot crypto exchange where you have these old uh, gold sellers turned into mini exchanges where, you know, you literally imagine a New York Stock Exchange in 1970s, you know, pre-computerization. You have that same environment in Grand Bazaar uh, where you actually exchange crypto. You have different rates in different exchange stores, like mini stores. And people just come and sell their gold, buy Bitcoin, buy Ethereum, sell it somewhere else. And there are people on foot that just arbitrage these different <laughs> store codes. And in general, though, like Turkey, in crypto, especially in Ethereum ecosystem, you see a lot of Turkish people outside of the Ethereum ecosystem as well. Avalanche's founder is actually Turkish. And it's it was like super fascinating to discover this because... Um, I always felt that we were like just being bothered with a lot of uh, political issues that literally uh, carry us forward to the future. And then once I got into crypto, I realized that there are a lot of Turkish people uh, living in Turkey and through their access to computer are just part of this uh, emergent ecosystem. And that maybe this is also, as now mentioned, the beauty of the crypto space. Like you don't need to be anywhere to be involved in crypto and you are not bound by physicality also uh, for educating yourself because to understand crypto you don't need to read a book right you read medium articles you read podcasts you listen to podcasts there are a lot of contents everywhere educational content that people are uh, pushing out that you can access from anywhere in the world if you have a sustainable internet and um, which I think was something that I discovered after joining crypto and also makes more sense to see this kind of involvement 
in Turkey. Um, I also tried to onboard a lot of my friends from Turkey into crypto. Some of them came to great positions in the crypto space. And yeah, like it's actually like, although the governments are like super, super anti-crypto, that Turkey just recently banned all the crypto-related transactions in the country. Everyone is... Oh, just a quick note for payments and services. You're still allowed to buy crypto. You're just only allowed to buy goods with crypto in Turkey. And, you know, being from a developing country, there's an interesting ape case in which, like, I've heard, like, individual accounts of people that own a lot of generational land to just, like, sell them and buy um, cryptocurrencies, where it's, like, all these, you know, rural areas that are left behind urbanization are just... (laughs) Selling their land and front-running all the metropolises in Turkey by getting into crypto. Yeah, so uh, for just quickly, it was really, really shocking when I flew into Turkey. And there were two like signals, which I was like, wow, this is... Uh, one was the, I speak, I speak Turkish, so I understand what people in the airport that work there are talking about. But they were talking about aping, right? So they were talking about like different things they want to buy. Uh, and there was like eight different posters in the airport for like various Turkish exchanges, which is really awesome. Uh, the same can't be said about Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan has like a pegged currency, so it's not floating. There's a lot of capital flows, lots of restrictions on like taking money out of the country. So it's very, very difficult to like buy crypto. Uh, I do know from like my investigative journalism that there's like these telegram groups who will own crypto and they have like in real life meetups where they like sell Bitcoin for Minot, which is like the fiat currency of Azerbaijan. But it's actually not very, very, there's like lots of different ways people are trying to like get into crypto, but like vast majority will end up like it'll cost you like 10, 20% just to buy it, right? And at that point, it becomes very difficult. Um, one point which Ata did make, which I think is like super important, is that like Ethereum is not affordable for anybody in Turkey or uh, Azerbaijan. We're talking about like I don't know about uh, like I'm pretty sure it's like four hundred dollars or something, which is like the minimum wage a month in um, in Turkey, and it's like the same in Azerbaijan. And gas right now in the morning was one hundred twenty dollars for a transaction. So it's definitely like not feasible, which really, really sucks. It's one of my frustrations. I come here from the perspective of like, holy shit, there are so many people that are unbanked. There are so many people who are like locked and stuck within their individual countries. A, like the opportunities of the countries, birth, like the lottery of birth, right? But then they're also stuck with the monetary and fiscal decisions of that nation. So that's like one of my frustrations with Ethereum, at least at the moment. This is just like it doesn't help the people who need it the most. Um, but there are beautiful solutions, right? Like, you know, I don't know how beautiful they are, but like Avalanche exists, things like this exist. I'm like a bit of an Ethereum maxi myself. Um, but what we end up seeing is everybody uses sexes, like centralized exchanges. They have a bunch in Turkey, people in Azerbaijan use Binance. And it's it's not really taken too seriously because you know, when you like, what's the functionality you have Binance? Can you really get onto Alchemix and get yourself paying loan? No. And you're not going to be able to do these things if, like, your trade, you have, like, let's say $400, which is a month's wage, which is a lot of money, 
you're not going to be able to use these really, really cool um, tools. Uh, what's, what you're going to end up doing is you're going to end up aping into Doge and Sheep, and you're going to get hit by like a 40% loss. And that's going to be like absolutely crippling for a lot of people. So um, it's like really, really complicated. I would say. At least for my, like, I've had really, really painful conversations with like cleaners, like there's kids of cleaners who like, they ape into these projects hoping for financial freedom, but there's not that much literacy, right? Like, and then to the level where you do want to be able to like access the really cool stuff is gated by ridiculous costs. So I would say like, it's just really, really sad. It's like amazing because you're giving these people in developing markets access to like truly like independent money. But at the same time, it's really sad because a lot of the tools they want to be utilizing have like $120 gas fees, right? So, and then instead they ape into like tool, like whatever coin is on like Binance or like Bit, BitConnect or like, you know what I mean? Something like scrap. So it's like really, really complicated. And then the governments don't like it either, right? So it's like, it's a mess, but it's beautiful. So complicated. Answer your question. Yeah, the big Bitconnect uh, kind of scam just happened in, uh, happened last year, by the way. Like millions of millions of dollars. And the guy didn't get arrested because a lot of people inside the government were in a way in very, very good terms with him, which is also a side story. Yeah, that is a sad story. And I think that's just something that we're seeing on general adoption uh, all over the place is that, you know, these gas fees are extremely high for retail. You know, it would be nice. And uh, we spoke to DeFi Dad about this last week on the podcast. You know, if we could just have onboarding from Binance or um, off ramps, you know, from Binance where you can directly withdraw onto Polygon or directly withdraw onto the Avalanche C chain. So you can get that experience and play around with these cool apps and experience some financial freedom uh, without the cost of playing around on the strictly on the settlement layer, which is Ethereum. So, uh, yeah, it's just something that we need to work on. Hopefully, you know, ETH 2.0 and sharding and uh, all these other scaling solutions that we have for Ethereum will help with those gas yeah. costs. But I think for now, and it's right now, it's even hard just to onboard people to Polygon, right? It's like you got to buy it in Coinbase, put it in your Coinbase wallet, and then you've got to send it through the Polygon bridge, which is expensive because you're using Ethereum gas to bridge it from Ethereum to Polygon. So, this um, really quickly, there's one more thing I want to mention, which you might find interesting. Is like a lot of these governments are actually looking at uh, using blockchain. Uh, which sounds awesome at first, but becomes very problematic about it because they don't want to have a decentralized blockchain. They want to be able to control all of it. So, like that's another conversation which uh, we need to be having when it comes to major markets. Like, who controls what? Right? Like, to what level do we want centralization, decentralization, especially in markets like Turkey, like Azerbaijan? I don't know if you saw this, but Putin. A couple of weeks ago, said he likes cryptocurrency. We all say, yeah, we like them too, but you have to keep in mind agendas. What happens when a blockchain is controlled by like one group? What does that mean? What does that mean for the space? So, yeah, yeah, I just wanted to add that up. I know we have to wrap. Yeah, and I agree. You know, when you have 
heads of state saying they like cryptocurrency, that, that doesn't mean that they like Bitcoin or Ethereum. You know, that means that they like the idea of a central bank digital currency where they have a backdoor and they can see every transaction that their citizens are doing, which, as you said, incredibly problematic. Um, and I, I hate to do this because I feel like this conversation is really starting to take off, but we've run up on time. Guys, the conversation was great. Uh, really enjoyed y'all's views on on DAOs and crypto in general. Uh, love Prime DAO, the project. So I'll just leave it with this. Uh, why don't y'all tell the audience where they can go to find out more about you and Prime DAO? We keep seeing each other's names come up, so no one's about them. Uh, you can find us at Prime.xyz. You'll find a lot of information there. Uh, that'll link you to our Discord, our Telegram, all of that beautiful stuff. Uh, you can find, and we have an IDO actually, early December, first week. So if anyone is interested, hop onto Discord, learn more. Uh, you can find me at Namik M, or Namik Mudroglu at on Twitter. Uh, yeah, um, having Turkish names <laughs> uh, makes contact sharing a bit hard, but. You can find me on Twitter at DGentelect. And yeah, reach out to me on anything, any kind of method concepts that you're interested in in the space, how, how these you know digital souls um, operate and uh, what we can do for them. How can we summon even more digital souls in the space? All right. Appreciate it, you guys. Thanks to everyone in the audience who's listening. This is being recorded, and so we'll get this out in about a week. Uh, have a great rest of your week. Enjoy your weekend, and we'll see you next time. Thanks again, guys. Thanks a lot. Cheers, everyone. By the way, are you going to NFT NYC? I'm just curious. Oh, no, I'm not going to make it to NFT NYC, unfortunately. Uh, I've got way too much stuff every weekend until the end of the year, so that's kind of a bummer. Yeah, I'm only here because we live in New York, so you know, you know we'll be sending those side of Sneaking into a couple more stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah. We all definitely did. I'm glad y'all did because if y'all hadn't snuck into the uh, to the happy hour, we wouldn't be here right now. So awesome! Yeah, I'm gonna stay a little more active in y'all's Discord too, and just kind of catch up on what's going on there because that the project's awesome. All right, man. Have a good day. You're right. in Texas right now. That that's right. I'm in Texas. Yeah, if y'all are ever in Texas, you know, hit a brother up. Let me know. Okay. Same like. Okay. Yeah, we have. We have a place in New York. You're always welcome to Cashman. I appreciate yeah. it, guys. Appreciate it. Awesome. Have a good day. All right. See you all later. Bye. Bye.